Well, the title of my message this morning is Up, Up, and Away. Now, when you look at that, it might almost sound a little bit sacrilegious, a little too lighthearted for what we're talking about. But when I think of that phrase, up, up, and away, there's something exhilarating about that. And I think we need to understand as believers the significance of the Holy Spirit being sent to live in us on earth. An amazing thing took place. And that's what I'm going to be sharing with you in just a few moments. I want to start by just sharing an experience of mine and my wife. And my sons usually were camping with us, but when we go camping, it took me a lot of years to decide I like to camp, first of all. And then there was that thing called hiking that you do when you go camping. That can be a little overwhelming when you go hiking. Now, those of you that know my wife know that that's her element. She gets excited. She loves to hike. She loves to camp. One of the favorite places we've gone to more than once is Glacier National Park. And in Glacier National Park, there's many different campgrounds, but one we like to go to is called Mini Glacier Campground. To get in there is difficult because it's such a popular place because of the beautiful trails that there are there. Matter of fact, last time we went, we slept in our car in a parking lot, and then I was in line at 4 a.m. in the morning just to get a campsite. I don't know what's wrong with me. But one of the hikes that my wife loves and I have learned to like is to Iceberg Lake. Now, this hike, for someone who's not a hiker and not really into this, is 9.7 miles long, and it changes in elevation about 1,300 feet. The trail difficulty rating, for those of you that are into hiking, is a 12.25, which puts it in the strenuous category. Now, the strenuous category can get way worse than this one. But we woke up in the morning, we had some breakfast and coffee, and my wife is excited to go hiking, and I am not excited about going hiking. All I have in my mind is 9.7 miles, 1,300 feet change in elevation, sore feet, lots of sweat and hard work, and fatigue, and I was not excited about going. Now, my wife, on the other hand, is almost giddy to go on this hike to Iceberg Lake. So we start the hike, we get to the trailhead, and we go up the, start up the trail, and golly, it's hot, I'm sweating, my feet hurt, and we've only went one mile. We've got a long ways to go. But finally we get to the top of where we're headed. And you come over a little rise at the top, and it's surrounded by tall mountain peaks, and then down below is Iceberg Lake. And I don't know how well you can see it on this screen, but it's called Iceberg Lake for the reason that you see, maybe, there's icebergs floating in this little lake. And when you come over the hill, you see all these wild flowers blooming and blossoming. It's absolutely gorgeous. And we get over there, of course, my wife looks at me and goes something like this, what do you think now, Mike? Now my attitude's changed. I look at that site, and it's amazing. And the peaks that you can't see all the way around you tower over this lake. 
It's gorgeous. It didn't take me long. I had my shoes off and my feet were in the water for as long as I could stand it, getting a little bit a little relief from the hike. But all of a sudden, all of that was washed out of my mind. And what I was looking at replaced that whiny attitude that I had with one of exhilaration. Something had changed. Before we took off on the hike, all I could think about was the work. The hard work, the heat, the sore feet, the trail, the difficult trail. But then when I saw and we got to Iceberg Lake, all of that negative, whiny attitude was gone. I think this is something like, on a much smaller level, but I think it's something like what the disciples went through with Jesus. Have you ever thought or noticed in the Scripture that when Jesus first told the disciples he was leaving them, they were filled with sorrow? And then when we get to the ascension, when he does actually leave them, they're filled with joy and rejoicing. What happened? Look, if you will, with me at John chapter 16, starting in verse 16. Jesus is telling them for the first time, in a little while, you won't see me anymore. So you have sorrow. Now, I only put up verse 16, but in verse 20, Jesus actually says to them, you will weep and you will lament. And then he makes an interesting comparison to the disciples, which is kind of interesting to me because the the comparison he gives is a woman giving childbirth. And he talks about when you go through the childbirth, all of this pain and agony, but when the child is born, everything changes and you forget the pain and the agony that you went through. So he says, so you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. Then in Luke chapter 24, He changes, everything changes for the disciples. In chapter 24, it says, Then Jesus led them to Bethany. And when he got them to Bethany, it's on the way up, they went through the Mount of Olives, they're heading to Bethany. And he's teaching them. And he says, lifting his hands to heaven, like a benediction, he's going to bless them. And then he says, this happens. While he was blessing them, he left them, He left them. That's an understatement. He just went up into the sky till a cloud encompassed him. It says, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Notice the reaction now. So they worshipped him and they returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. What a transition took place in their attitude. They went from sorrow, weeping, and lamenting, as Jesus himself described what they were going to go through, to this. When he actually does leave, they worship him, they're filled with great joy, and they're praising him in the temple continuously. So once again, the question begs to be asked, what changed? What happened? We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, 
So if you want to open your Bibles to that place, that's where we're going to be. But we're also going to be putting in a number of other verses that you won't see Acts up here on the screen. So I encourage you to get your Bibles out if you haven't already. In Acts chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. In my former book, meaning the Gospel of Luke that he had written, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. And after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. What had happened? That 40-day time frame from the time that Jesus was raised to the dead until this day when he actually departs. What had happened? Well, it says they gave many convincing proofs. Basically, there is infallible evidence that Jesus was actually alive and that he had raised from the dead. He had actually visited with them. He talked to them. He would actually eaten food with them, demonstrating that he had a body still like theirs in many ways. He had appeared many different times to numbers of different people. Small groups, individuals, large group of over 500. He had taught with them. Even in this time, he had still been teaching them. He even performed a miracle or two along the way. You may remember Peter fishing when the guys decided to go back to Galilee. And they'd fished all night once again and hadn't caught a thing. And Jesus just told them, throw the nets on the other side. And they caught more fish than they could handle. So Jesus, doing all of these things, had given them infallible evidence, overwhelming evidence that he was alive and raised from the dead. And then it says in Acts chapter 1, those first verses that I read, that he spent time teaching them, and it specifically mentions one particular thing that he taught about, and that was the kingdom of God. Oh, he had talked about the kingdom of God in the past, but they didn't understand But remember now, he's teaching them and everything has changed for their understanding. If you remember uh, last week, I believe it was, I talked about um, having an open mind. Jesus in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, you may recall, he opened their mind that they might understand the scriptures. So I think these two things at least and maybe more are what changed. Their understanding of the scriptures had been opened And now Jesus had been teaching them more specifically about the kingdom of God and what that was going to be like and what that was going to mean. For 40 days he did this. The kingdom of God. Now there's some confusion and differing opinions about what that is in this particular uh, case by theologians. Some say it's the kingdom of God there is making reference to Jesus' kingdom in heaven. Some say it's in reference to when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom on earth. And still others say that it's referring to you and I as the church, as believers, the kingdom of God in us. I would say yes, yes, and yes. It could be all three. There's this concept we have of the kingdom of God is now. But it's also not yet. Meaning Jesus is on the throne as we're going to be talking about. 
But he is eventually going to come back and he's going to rule on this earth. The kingdom of God. Now, but not yet. The fullness of the kingdom of God. So what I want to talk about is the ascension of Jesus. Up, up, and away. His return to heaven. His return to the glory that he once had with the Father before he came to earth as a baby. And we're going to look at some things that I think, well, let me put it this way. And I'm not blaming anybody or any particular teacher or church, but I grew up, I didn't know much about the Holy Spirit at all. I remember we used to mention the Holy Spirit in the the creeds, the Apostles' Creed. But as far as talking about and knowing about and learning about the Holy Spirit, I didn't have any understanding. And I think because of that, even when I first started reading the Bible about the ascension of Jesus, the ascension was more like a a, a punctuation mark, like an exclamation point to the resurrection story. I mean, a pretty fantastic punctuation point for sure. But that's all it was. But I think if we understand more about the ascension and what took place and understand why Jesus had to return, it will change the way we think, not only about the ascension, but about the Holy Spirit. The ascension itself is a very vital part of the redemption story. One of the scriptures I share all the time when we have our worship and healing services is Psalms 103, verse 2, where it tells us to forget not all of his benefits. And usually I focus on the benefits of the atonement. The benefits of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But there are a long list of benefits that take place after and because Jesus ascended. And that's what I want to focus on this morning for a little while. Some of the benefits of the ascended Lord. First of all, I'm going to read you an Old Testament prophecy from the book of Daniel, and then we're going to look at what Paul wrote in Ephesians. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, here's the words of a prophecy written something like 500 years ago. In my vision, he had a vision. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. It's like he's getting a perspective of what was taking place in heaven as Jesus ascended. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. Daniel was speaking four, five, six hundred years before Jesus was even born. Paul is writing this to the church at Ephesus. And he says that power, the power, he's talking about, if you read the verses beforehand, the power of Christ, the power that raised him from the dead. He says that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and 
seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Seated him in the heavenly realms. We understand now that this took place after the ascension. If Jesus had not ascended, he would not have been seated in the heavenly realms. He would not have been seated at the right hand of God. And there is significance to being seated at the right hand of God. It's a position of power and a position of authority and a position of dominion. And why did it take place? When did it take place? Because of an after the ascension. If Jesus had not ascended, he would not be seated in that particular place. Seated in heavenly places. And as we continue to read in Ephesians, going on here to verse 20, which he exerted when he raised him from the dead. And then it goes on and says, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Far above all rule, power and authority and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Daniel had prophesied and saw in this vision what Paul is teaching to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus. He is seated in that place of power and authority, above all rule, above all authority, above all power, and above all dominion. He is in rule over all things. Everything is submitted to him. Not just in this age, but also in the ages to come. What does that mean? It's an eternal position. He is ruling and reigning for eternity. He is given authority over all. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, adds a lot of significance for us. It says, not only was He given authority, but God also raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly places. Think about this for a second. Positionally, we died with Christ. Positionally, we were raised a new creature, born again by the Spirit of God, We were raised with Christ, but it doesn't stop there. He says He raised us up with Christ and then He seated us with Him in the heavenly places, in heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means because Jesus ascended to heaven and He was seated at the throne, the right hand of the throne of God, in that position of power and authority and dominion, then it says, and positionally, we are seated there with Him. Wherever you're at, that's where you're physically at right now. But positionally, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have ascended with Him. And we are seated with Him in that position of power and authority. And God the Father knows we need that power and authority. We do not fight against flesh and blood, Scripture tells us. We fight against those powers and principalities. We fight against the powers of darkness. And made available to us is that authority that's in the name of Jesus and what he accomplished. Second benefit, the simply the sending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has told his disciples in John chapter 14, starting in verse 16, 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. He will give you another counselor. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but when I go, I'm going to ask him to give you another counselor and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And we go down to John chapter 16 in verse 7. I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Jesus is saying, you know, it's better for you that I leave. Because if I don't leave, you will not have the Holy Spirit. But if I leave, I will send the Holy Spirit. I will ask of the Father. And He will not come to you unless I go. Wow. The Holy Spirit being sent to us. Continuing back in Acts chapter 1, I'm going to start reading at verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard of me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. When Jesus was on the earth, he was limited by time and space. He could only be in one place at one time. Jesus is saying, when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will be with you always, wherever you're at. Each one of us, as believers in Jesus Christ, have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us, God in us, the Holy Spirit. Wherever we're at, wherever we go, He is with us. He is not limited by time and space. And it says He will give you power. Power for what? To be His witnesses. He will equip us. He will empower us to be His witnesses, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He will give us power to live lives that bring glory and honor to God. He will give us the power to overcome those besetting sins in our life as the Holy Spirit begins to transform us into the image of Christ Himself. And then think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit hadn't came, if Jesus hadn't left, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, healing, miracles, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, all these gifts of the Holy Spirit available to us because Jesus first ascended and the Holy Spirit came and lives in us. Amazing. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. That power that transforms us. The fruit of the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us. The love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, long-suffering. The fruit, all of these things, the gifts, the fruit in us because Jesus ascended. What a benefit it is to us. What a benefit. And in Ephesians 4, verse 8, he talks about giving gifts to men. But in Ephesians 4, 11, it talks about he also gave gifts to the church. When he left, he said, I'm going to give gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors. All of these things are benefits of Jesus' ascension given by the Holy Spirit. Third, we have a high priest in heaven. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But it says, But we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way. Jesus gets us. He understands what we go through. 
He has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace. Let us approach the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus going and ascending to heaven. Open the door for us to approach the throne of grace, the God's throne, that we can go in time of our need, no matter what the needs are in our life, no matter what you're going through, because Jesus ascended and left the earth and sent us the Holy Spirit, we have access to go directly to the Father to find help in those times of great need when we feel lost, when we're in despair, sickness and disease. We're grieving. And I could go on and on, but we can go directly to the throne of grace. We have access to His mercy. And in Hebrews 7, verse 24 and 25, but because Jesus lives forever, He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because, listen to this, He always lives to intercede for them, for us. Because Jesus ascended to the Father, We have a high priest who opened the door to the throne of grace and God's mercy for us. But not just that. He is interceding for us. It says He lives to make intercession for His children. What an amazing thing to think about. God who knows us, Jesus who loves us, is interceding for you and me continually and lives to do just that. And the fourth and the last benefit I want to mention, and we could go on and on and on, but one unique thing about the ascension, I'm going to read in in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And after he had said all these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? That seems like a pretty crazy question to me. We'd just been standing there with Jesus. He had raised his hands to bless us, and there he goes. Why do you think we're looking up into the sky? But the real answer that the, the, the angel gave them was this. Jesus, this Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Jesus, this same Jesus, the one that they've known, the one who was crucified, buried, and was raised from the dead, the one that's been with them for 40 days since his resurrection, This Jesus, who you see leave in this magnificent way, He will come back in the same way. There is a benefit here of us having anticipation that Jesus is going to return. He is coming back. It reminds us to be ready. It reminds us that the kingdom of God is now, but it's not yet. It's not fully been manifested, but it will be. And when Jesus comes back, to rule and reign on the earth, all the bad stuff is gone forever. 
It's over with. Forget not all his benefits, the psalmist wrote. These are just four dimensions seated at the right hand of God and all that comes with that, that we have a high priest. The Holy Spirit was sent and lives and dwells in us and that gives us this hope, this promise that he's going to return. Some of the most remarkable benefits to us as believers come to us because Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came. How should you and I react to these truths? I think we could do well to react just like the disciples did. How did they react? With great joy, with worship and praising Him in the temple continually. We are now the temple of God. We should be praising Him continually. I want to close with this scripture in Luke chapter 24, verse 52. They worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy and spent all their time worshipping Him. That's what you and I should be doing. As the worship team comes forward, I want to just pray with us very quickly. Father, I thank You for the Holy Spirit. I pray You would give us greater understanding, greater appreciation, and a greater awareness to the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us. This amazing gift that You have given to us Father, we rejoice in that. Father, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand. And empower us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.